Let me say good morning once again. It is obviously a holiday weekend. Uh, We're going to be talking about reaching in to build the body today. Um, Looking around, I think maybe one of the legs of the body here from Netherwood Park is at the lake, and one of the arms is up in the mountains, but uh, we're glad those people are able to have this one last chance to go to the mountains and go to the lake and get refreshed as they enter into a busy fall season. But let's keep them in our prayers that they'll have a safe time and that they'll be return to us refreshed and renewed and ready to to build the body here together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the many ways that you bless us. And Father, we are mindful of the part of our body that is elsewhere today. Father, we pray that you'll watch over them, keep them safe, bring them back to us refreshed and renewed. Father, so they will bring energy and they'll bring love to the body here so that we'll all be lifted up. Father, our desire is to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we want to be true disciples of his, disciples that will follow him in everything that we do and in all places and at all times. And Father, we pray that the world around us will see his light shining through us so that they will come to know Jesus, who is the true light. And Father, we pray this prayer in his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, we're now just two weeks away from our Fall Outreach Sunday, and I know that all of us are looking forward to see just who Jesus is going to send our way, and I'm sure we're looking forward to hearing the stories about how God prepared the way for them to come to be with us. So last week I started a short three-week sermon series called Reaching, and last week I made the point that before we reach out to bring others to know us, We need to make sure that we're a church that continually reaches up to know God, to know God Father and Son and Spirit. And we need to make sure that we're a church that continually seeks to grasp the dimensions of God's love, the height and depth and width and length of God's love that's most clearly expressed in His Son, Jesus Christ, as He went to the cross for us. And as disciples of Jesus Christ grasping The dimensions of God's love is important because that's the beginning point of increasing the dimensions of our love. It's the beginning point for increasing the height and depth and length and width of our love for God and our love for each other. And so we want to make sure that is who we are revealed to be. We want to make sure that that is our identity. We want to make sure that when guests come into our midst, that they recognize that we are a group of people who loves God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds. And we want to make sure that they see that we are a group of people who love each other even as we love ourselves. Because we want that to be the identity which is recognized by others. And it's not so people will be attracted to us, it's so people will be attracted to God. Our God who is the source and the object of our love. And so today, after last week talking about the importance of reaching up, and next week as we talk about the necessity of reaching out, today our focus will be on the importance of reaching in to build the body of Christ, to build his church. We'll be spending most of our time this morning in Ephesians chapters 4 and 5, so you might want to go ahead and turn there now. I'll give you an advance warning, or maybe it's an advance promise or reassurance we won't be able to unpack everything that's in this, this scripture because it's such a long reading. In fact, we won't even have time to read it all. 
But what I do intend to do is to shine a light on what we can learn from this passage about the importance of being the type of body that our guests will encounter when they join us here in two weeks. So let's read again from Ephesians chapter 4. I'll start with verse 1. So Paul writes this. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Then we skip down to verse 11 and Paul writes, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So with that passage fresh in our minds, I want to take a moment to look back at last week. And I want to look back at last week because, not surprisingly, reaching in to build the body of Christ can't really be separated from reaching up to know and to love God. As we closed last week, I asked all of us to commit to doing a few different things. I asked us to do some things over then, it was three weeks, and now it's over the next two weeks before our outreach Sunday. And I know because I've heard from many of you that many of you have done that and many of you are doing that. And I know that many of you will do those things that I ask you to do. And I really do appreciate you doing that. One of the things that I ask you to commit to doing was to making a rubbish list. A list in the spirit of Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 3 when he said this. He said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So when I talk about a rubbish list, I'm talking about a list that identifies everything in our lives that we value highly enough to interfere with having a love for God that has great width and great height and great depth and great length. Those may be relationships, those may be objects, they might be your hobbies, they might be your job, it might be a position that you hold. For us individually, our rubbish list will contain whatever those things are that might keep us from loving God like we should. And the text that we just read from Ephesians chapter 4 helps explain why a rubbish list is useful. See, it's important for us to identify the rubbish in our lives. Important for us to identify that because true faith, the one faith that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, and true hope, the one hope that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, those things are only achieved when we no longer rely on the rubbish in our lives, but instead rely on the one God, rely on the one Spirit, and rely on the one Lord of our lives. I'm going to give you an example of why a rubbish list is important. It's an example that's guaranteed to bring me grief. 
So I'm prepared for it. So go ahead. Already think about what you're going to tell me after I give you this example. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Kathy, my wife, is at the very top of my rubbish list. You're number one. Probably should have brought a phone finger or something for you to wave. She's at the top of my rubbish list. And she's at the top of my rubbish list not because I think so little of her. She's at the top of that list because I think so much of her. She's not at the top of the list because she works to pull me away from God. In fact, she does exactly the opposite. But she's at the top of my rubbish list because it's a constant temptation to have faith and hope in Kathy and have faith and hope in our relationship instead of having faith and hope in God. And it's a constant temptation to rely on Kathy and to rely on our relationship instead of relying on God. So it's important that I identify and I acknowledge that temptation in my life because it helps me understand and live in the reality that as wonderful as Kathy is and as great as our relationship is, it's no substitute for the relationship that I have with God. That relationship with Kathy is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing and loving God and being known and being loved by God. I also ask each of us to commit to immersing ourselves in Jesus' story. I ask all of us to commit to reading each one of the Gospels at least once from beginning to end over the next three weeks, now two weeks. And the reason I ask for that commitment is because I firmly believe that it's when we fully immerse ourselves in Jesus' story that we begin to grasp the dimensions. We begin to grasp the height and depth and length and width of his love, his great love for us. And when we begin to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' love for us, we we then begin to grasp our calling. And Paul makes it clear that our calling is to be individual members of the unified body of Christ. Each of us are to be individual members of the unified body of Christ. This week, as I followed Jesus to the cross, I followed him there first with Mark, as Mark told Jesus' story. And then I followed Jesus to the Christ as John related Jesus' story. And then I followed Jesus to the cross as Luke gave his account of Jesus' story. And then I followed Jesus to the cross through the eyes of Matthew as he told Jesus' story. And as I did that, I found the song that we just sang a few minutes ago started running through my mind over and over and over again. It was running through my mind because I found myself falling in love with Jesus over and over and over again. And how could I not fall in love with Jesus over and over and over again? See, as I saw his love for me, my love for him was renewed. My love for him was replenished. My love for him was deepened. And as I saw his love for the church, my love for the church was renewed. And my love for the church was replenished. And my love for the church was deepened. And my commitment to the unity in the body was renewed and replenished and deepened. Because after all, if we have one spirit in common, 
and we have the one Lord Jesus in common and the one Father God in common, don't we have everything that matters in common? See, on that list, there's no rubbish. There's no rubbish at all on that list. We do have God in common. Father, Son, and Spirit. And because we have that in common, we have the same hope, and we have the same faith, and we have the same baptism. And that unifies us, and nothing should ever separate us. should ever separate us because we're part of the unified body of Jesus Christ. The unified body of Christ. It's kind of an interesting image, isn't it? To view ourselves as each being individual pieces, individual members of Jesus' body. And here in Ephesians, it isn't the only place that the body is used as a metaphor or as an analogy to talk about the nature and the function of the church. As we know, the Bible's full of metaphors and it's full of analogies that are extremely useful. They're very powerful. And they're useful and powerful because they provide figures of speech and they provide images that help us grasp and help us understand sometimes very difficult concepts. But I also know that many of us have learned from experience that the metaphors and analogies in the Bible can be dangerous. Dangerous if we carry them too far. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. I've wasted hours of my life in Bible classes listening to people discuss whether it was actually chemically possible for salt to lose its saltiness. Maybe you've been in some of those same classes. And I've also been in Bible classes where I've listened to lengthy arguments over which people in a church would be considered the feet of the church. Maybe you've been in some of those classes. And those are just two examples of people taking useful metaphors and useful analogies to places that they were never intended to go. However, I think this passage in Ephesians is very different. And it's very different because I believe that the danger with the body metaphor as used here by Paul is not when we carry it too far, but I think the danger is when we don't carry it far enough. In fact, I think the danger here is when we treat the body of Christ as used by Paul as a metaphor at all. I don't think Paul used the phrase, the body of Christ, as a figure of speech at all. I don't think he used the phrase, the body of Christ, as an analogy. He isn't saying the church is like the body of Christ. And he isn't using the body of Christ as a metaphor. He isn't saying the church is a symbol or a representation of Jesus' body. I think instead, Paul wants the Ephesians to understand, I think he wants us to understand that the church, in a very real sense, is actually and literally the body of Christ. You see, when Jesus ascended, it didn't signal the end of his ministry here on earth. His ministry of the word, his teaching and preaching, and his ministry of service, healing and feeding and restoring... Those ministries continued after he ascended, and those ministries continue today, and they continue through his body, through the church. Since we live in a culture that tends to celebrate and promote individuality, it probably shouldn't surprise us that modern religion has in many ways shifted to reflect the culture that we live in. If you listen to a lot of religious talk, you'll hear a lot of talk about my faith, and my walk, and my relationship with God. 
And that talk isn't bad. It's important for us to each have our own faith and to have our own walk and to have our own relationship with God. But the problem comes when we divorce our individual faith and divorce our individual walk and divorce our individual relationship with God from the church. Those things belong in the church, not outside the church. No one of us individually is the body of Christ. We are each individually parts of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ only achieves its full purpose when joined together with Jesus at the head. And Paul here, and in other places, makes it very clear that the identifying mark of Christ's body will be unity. The mark of the church will be unity. Unfortunately, the very thing that the church has struggled so greatly in achieving over the centuries. And I think one of the reasons why unity in the church is such a powerful testimony to others is because it is so difficult and because it is so unusual especially unity that isn't achieved through uniformity, but unity that's achieved as Jesus envisioned it, through equality and diversity. You know, unity through uniformity is really fairly easy. If you put a group of people together who look alike and sound alike and think alike and dress alike and so on, you can probably have unity. I mean, there are unified bodies like that all over the world. But that kind of unity doesn't look like Jesus' body. Jesus' body is a testimony to the power of its head. Because people see and experience unity and peace where none is expected. And that's powerful. They see a place where people with different skin colors and different accents can come together in unity. They see a place where people with different educational levels and different financial circumstances can come together in unity. They see a place where people with vastly different life stories can come together in unity. And the only reason why unity is possible is because Jesus' disciples recognize that our unity, our oneness, is rooted in what God the one God has done for us through Jesus and has done for us through his spirit. Compared to our one faith, our one hope, our one baptism, and our one God, all those differences that I talked about simply don't matter. They're the rubbish in our lives. And that's what allows us to function like Jesus in our oftentimes very dark world. I know that most of you are familiar with John's words at the very beginning of his gospel. Speaking of Jesus, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So as Christ's body, as Christ's unified body, we're to shine Jesus' light. We're to shine the light of the world into our dark world. And a unified body is a powerful floodlight into this dark world. But unfortunately, that floodlight comes with a dimmer switch. 
When there is discord in the body, it dims the light. When there's prejudice in the body, it dims the light. When there's hatred in the body, it dims the light. When there's gossip in the body, it dims the light. So we have to be very careful as a body not to dim the light of Jesus. Only a unified body can fully shine Jesus' light into the world. And so we as a church, we need to be in the body building business. And our call is to build the body here to be just like the one we know and love. We here at Netherwood should be striving to become Christ in church form. We are to be Jesus to the world around us. Others should be able to look at us and see Jesus. So how do we strengthen and grow the body to look like Jesus? Well, the main way that we do that is by strengthening and growing the individual parts of the body. The body itself strengthens and grows as I strengthen and grow, and it strengthens and grows as you strengthen and grow. As each of us strengthen and grows in our love, the body strengthens and grows in its love. As each of us strengthens and grows in patience, the body strengthens and grows in patience. As each of us individually matures in our faith, the body matures in its faith. And that's not intended to be a solitary task because we're all responsible to the body and we're responsible for the body. We are interdependent. We're joined together. We're inseparable. We're a people who look out for each other. We're a people who build each other up. We're a people who protect each other. We're a people who want what is best for each other because it's the best thing for Christ's body. And in case you're thinking I'm pushing this notion of being Christ's body too far, I want to let Paul speak. Paul speaks in his characteristically strong language about who we as a church are to be, what our identity is to be. Listen to just a few phrases that Paul writes. In chapter 4, verse 13, he says that we're to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 16, he says, in all things we are to grow into Christ. In verse 24, he says we're to put on the new self created to be like God. Chapter 5 and verse 1, he says we're to be imitators of God. And then in verse 2, he says we're to live lives of love just as Christ loved us. That's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. And that's who I want us to be. I want us to be what God created us to be. I want to be a part of the body that is what it was created to be. I want us to be the body we were created to be. I want us to be just like God as revealed completely in his son, Jesus Christ. So as we close, I want to give us a paternity test. I want each one of us individually to take a paternity test And I want us to give our church here at Netherwood Park a paternity test. So we're going to use DNA to do that. This is a test to help us determine if we, as individual parts of the body of Christ, have 
Jesus' DNA. And also to help us realize whether or not we, as a body of believers, have Jesus' DNA. I think this is how we can know and how others will know, including our guests on the 14th. They can know whether we are truly Christ's body in church form. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to use the DNA markers that Paul identifies as being from Jesus throughout chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians. I'm going to call this new self DNA. It's DNA that's from Jesus, and it identifies those who have it as being a part of Jesus' body. So here we go, the new self DNA test. Are we humble? Are we gentle? Are we patient? Are we loving? Are we peaceful? Are we faithful? Are we mature? Are we righteous? Are we holy? Are we truthful? Are we industrious? Are we generous? Are we encouraging? Are we kind and forgiving? Are we thankful? Are we wise? Are we spirit-filled? Are we singers? And are we submissive? And as I go through that list, I want you to know that I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in us. But I don't want to stop there. I also want us to take a look at the old self DNA that Paul identifies. These are the markers that are clearly not from Jesus. And their presence in the body dims Jesus' light in our world. So here we go. Here's Paul's old self DNA. Let's ask ourselves these questions. Are we immature? Are we untruthful? Are we thieving? Are we bitter? Are we angry? Are we slanderous? Are we malicious? Are we sexually immoral? Are we impure? Are we lazy? Are we greedy? Are we obscene? Are we foolish? Are we coarse? Are we unwise? Are we drunken? Not surprisingly, I also see some of the old self DNA in me. And I see some of the old self DNA in us. And I say it's not surprising that we see that because we know that we haven't arrived as a body. We're growing and we're building into Christ. We're growing and building to maturity. We're growing and building into our body. May we individually and may we as a body never stop growing and never stop building into a body with exactly the same DNA as our head, Jesus Christ. And may we remove the old self DNA so that our light is not dimmed in any way so the world can see Jesus shining brightly through us. So what do we do now? Well, I think the first thing we all need to do is recognize our interdependence. We all need to recognize our responsibility to each other and our responsibility to the body. And I think we need to make every effort to build each other up to look just like Jesus. And I believe the best way to do that is to strengthen and build the new self DNA that we see already in each other 
until it overwhelms, until it pushes out the old self-DNA that we all still possess. So I'm going to ask you to do something very practical. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. I'm going to give you some more homework. I'm that teacher that gives you homework over the Labor Day weekend. You know, you never like those teachers, I know. But I'm going to give you some homework anyway. I'm going to ask you to do this. Over the next two weeks, I want each of us to commit to providing sincere, daily praise and encouragement. You can do it through a card. You can do it through a call. You can do it through an email. You can do it through a text. You can do it through Facebook, Twitter, FaceTime. Uh, There's thousands of ways that you can do this. Or you might be really radical and actually do it face-to-face with somebody. I want you to provide daily encouragement and daily praise to at least one other member of this body every day over the next two weeks. And I want you to do that by recognizing the new self DNA that you see in them. So it might go something like this. You might have a conversation with someone and say, I see the love of Jesus in you. Or you might say, I see the patience of Jesus in you. Or you might call someone up and say, I just want to thank you for being gentle with me. Or you might catch someone after service and say, I just love to hear you sing out your praises to God. Sincere praise and encouragement daily to at least one other member of Christ's body. And I want us to think of this as maybe a bit of a dress rehearsal. A dress rehearsal for putting our real but best foot forward to the guests who come among us. So I envision conversations like this happening with our guests on the 14th. Conversation like, I saw you talking to Fred. I just want you to know he's one of the kindest people that I know. Or maybe, I'd like to introduce you to Sally. She's one of the wisest people I've ever met. Or maybe a conversation like this, you really should meet the Luhans. They've been faithful to God and faithful to each other for over 60 years. And I think it's in that way we'll build each other up. And in that way, we can build this church up to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And then we and others will see Jesus' light shine out into the world around us. And so other people will see Jesus in us. So my invitation, as we sing a song about the love that we have in common, and as we lay aside the rubbish that's in our lives that would separate us, My invitation is for all of us to commit to building each other up by loving each other just as Jesus loves us. I also want to say if you're here today and you want to be a part, if you want to be a piece of Jesus Christ's body by putting him on in baptism, I want you to let us know because we would love to help you do that. Or if you have already put him on in baptism and you see that you would like to be a part, you'd like to be a piece of the body of Christ that meets here at Netherwood Park, we'd like to know about that as well. We'd like to know that you want to be identified as part of this body. So why don't you let us know that. Whatever your needs are, why don't you let us know. You can do it in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand up and sing a song. You can walk to the front and let us know what your needs and desires are. Or if you're more comfortable doing so, you can walk to the back can ask for directions to room 104 and in a more private setting with a couple of our elders, a couple of godly men, 
You can let your needs and desires be known there. But whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up and we sing this song about our common love.